Yes. <laughs> hey, Jennifer, how are you? Everyone say hi, Jennifer. Hi, hi Jennifer. Yeah. Let's see if she even listens to that. Um, that's like my job security, I guess. Like, I do stuff, I preach. No, I'm kidding. Um, I am not the most disciplined person. Yeah, big, big sigh there. But here's the thing. I really want to be. Um, I want to be the person who can wake up um, early enough in my day to exercise, to read my Bible and pray, and to make a good breakfast, and then have all that done before 7 o'clock. You know, like, um, I, I wish that I made my bed every single day. I wish that when I came to my office that I never wasted an hour or two watching YouTube videos about how to properly groom a beard, which I clearly need help with, right? Um, I, I wish that there were seasons in my life where I would just be a little bit more um, kind of goal-oriented, where I have my priorities straight, where um, I just had a few days off for the holidays. I'm sure you guys did too, obviously Thursday, Friday. And you kind of wonder, like, I mean, how, how much TV did I watch <clears throat> compared to how much did I spend by myself or with the Lord in prayer? And, and sometimes I, I kind of, to be honest, it's a little bit of a, um, a way for me to kind of punish myself. It's like a taskmaster in a way to where I kind of like I make myself really bad. Like, man, Aaron, you're so bad. You had four days off and, and you did nothing. You just sat around. But if you think about it, in a way, like I play with my kids a lot. I got some good needed rest. I had my brother and his wife over, and we just sat and talked. I had friends over one night. We played board games, and um, I did a lot of things. But I, I think when we think about discipline, I don't know, unless you're like the most disciplined person in your own life, we all sometimes wish we were more disciplined. I think we all wish at times we would, quote unquote, read our Bibles more or pray more. I think the, the characteristic of godliness and holiness is nothing that we would say that we don't want. I think we all want to be more godly. We all want to be deeper into our relationship with the Lord. But we feel guilty and we kind of um, do that thing where we punish ourselves and shame ourselves when we aren't disciplined enough, when we don't put enough effort forth. And I think there are, there's misconceptions there. And there's also things that are just, honestly, just encouragements that we need to hear about what does it really look like to live a life that is disciplined in godliness. A life, a Christian life that is actually putting forth effort into growing with your relationship with Jesus. And so, um, that was a really long intro to get to just this one point that I find that when the days get shorter, where it's darker out, longer, that kind of my, um, my zeal for the Lord, my energy, my ability to pray and, and to be mindful about the things of the Lord kind of diminishes. I kind of like become a recluse spiritually. And I find myself looking at this passage I'm about to read um, as something that, that kind of gets me out of that and helps me train a little bit more towards godliness. So if you look down at 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's where um, we're going to be kind of thinking about a little bit today. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6. 
and um, I'll be reading through verses 10. So 1 Timothy 4, starting verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray that you would bind our hearts towards your word, that we would be mindful and introspective of our own disciplines towards godliness. God, thank you for this time of being able to open up your word. We pray, Lord, that you would rich us, bless, um, bless us richly because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would venture to say that none of you wake up in the morning, um, look in the mirror, and say, I hope that I have a subpar day. Nor do I think any of you, when you ask your friends about how their Thanksgiving, or maybe before they have their holiday break, would say, I hope that your break is stressful and not relaxing. If you were to go to a nice restaurant and you're with someone who you really enjoy being around, I don't think you would tell that person who's about to order something, I hope that your food just tastes okay. I hope it's kind of bland. Um, I, I don't think any of us look in the mirror and say, I hope that I don't look good today, right? Like, do you see like how ridiculous all of that stuff sounds? And, and I say all that because if you think about it, the things that are important to us, there's a natural tendency in us to want to do it well, to excel at it. And I want to ask the question, when you look at your faith, when you look at your relationship with Christ, when you look at your responsibility to be a brother or sister in Christ to others, do you seem to be okay with a superficial or mediocre relationship with Christ? Are you okay with kind of saying, you know, I'm okay about being a subpar Christian. I'm just going to be just right here. I'll just be kind of bland. Or I, I don't need to be like the most holy person in the room. I, I just kind of, I just want to be in the club just enough. One foot in, one foot out. And so the context in which Paul is writing Timothy here is that there are people um, who probably were in Ephesus where Timothy was who are promoting things that they were either giving up certain foods or they're giving up sex or they're giving up just good things in life in order to attain to a certain kind of godly standing. So even if you kind of look up a few verses, um, actually just the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So Paul kind of categorizes what they're saying as teachings of demons. Verse 2, Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. See, what people were doing is that they were saying, hey, if you really want to be a good Christian, you're going to abstain from this. And if you're really going to be an aspiring, godly person, you can't do this. And, if you're, and, and so kind of contextualize that to our day and age. What are the things that people tell you, or maybe you tell yourself that you've maybe heard and kind of got distorted that I need to do this in order to be a good Christian? Or because I'm a Christian, I can't have this because that is worldly. And Paul, in the light of looking at those things that people are saying, begins to instruct Timothy about what does it really look like to attain godliness? What does it really look like for someone to be a Christian and say, no, I don't want to have a mediocre relationship with Christ. I actually do want to do things. So in one sense, I think Paul here is affirming the fact that that people get off track. They they want to be a good Christian. They they want to be godly. they, They want to train in it. But they say some whack things. Like you have to abstain. You have to read your Bible every day. Three times a day. And memorize the whole book of Psalms. And Paul is very helpful for all of us. In that, he lists out three different things of what we should be doing to obtain the goal of godliness. To obtain the point of view or the perspective that I don't want just a mediocre relationship with Jesus. Something that kind of is useful to me and when I'm sad or hurt. But I want to be a Christian who really does aspire to love Jesus well, to be a Christian brother or sister who can help others, to be someone who can use my spiritual gifts for the, for the sake of others and for the church. And so Paul gives us three principles that will help us to obtain godliness. Because just as I, as I would imagine, none of you, I think, sincerely would say, I hope that I'm just an okay Christian. So Paul kind of helps us. So if you look down at verse 6 of chapter 4, he says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now pause. Paul is kind of wrapping up a lot of what he's been saying in that whole chapter. And what he is talking about, he kind of gives some qualifications for leaders of the church, and he gives some, some things about initial, what does it look like to be godly, and that passage we just read, he's saying, put these things before men of the church. Timothy's a pastor, and what he is saying is that, hey, you need to instruct people of what it really looks like to pursue godliness in a healthy way. And so kind of what he's, he's teaching Timothy here is that godliness... The thing that we all want, the thing that we're trying to obtain, a lot of the reasons why why we meet together as Christians and why we commit to the spiritual disciplines, godliness, it is achieved, this is the first point, godliness is achieved through discipleship, through being taught by others. Godliness is achieved through discipleship. Timothy and everyone who desires excellence must be dedicated to the sharing of truth with others. You see, one of our core values, we talked about this earlier in the fall, was that we want to go further up and further in, right? We want to go further up in our walks with God, but we also want to go further in. We want to lean into the relationships that we have here. 
So part of the reason what I would even say why we have leaders. Why, why do we have leaders here? Are, are they just here to babysit you? Are, are, are they? He's nodding yes. Maybe in a way, if you're doing something really dumb, they're like, hey, don't do that. That's really dumb. Um, but I, I, let me, let me um, I'll, I'll speak for a moment here about the leaders. These leaders, I think, care a little bit more about just watching you on Sunday nights. There is a desire there for them to impart what they have learned with you. My heart isn't just to see a bunch of individual Christians. My heart is to see a collective group of Christians growing together. And so in my, in, in my ministry as a pastor, it's not just I sit in my office all week and then for a few hours on Sunday night I give a message. Um, is that I want to help other Christians as much as I can, that I'm able to, the 24 hours that the Lord has given me and, and my experiences, is to help train other Christians to help us grow in our walk with God, to help us understand the importance of the gospel in our day-to-day lives, the importance of knowing why is prayer important and, and, and how do we view scripture in a way that is not mundane or trite or kind of cherry-picking verses. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. He said, Timothy, if you want godliness, it can only be achieved if you teach others. And so part of what I would say to you is that if you are someone who, if you would characterize yourself as an isolated Christian, now maybe you come to youth group, maybe you're part of church, or you go to a different church, whatever it is, but when you think about the relationships in your life, people who you can talk to about your faith, people who really can hold you accountable, people who encourage you and challenge you and, and would say, like, hey, what you're doing right now really isn't wise. That's what it looks like to be in a discipleship relationship. Is that you're, you're opening up your heart and your life to someone else. And what's so neat about that is, is it, it's, it goes up the ladder. That there are people who are discipling you and you are discipling others. And so that, that, is, that is one of our goals here at youth group, uh, in this youth ministry. It's not that you would just come, get a little message, see you later, but that you would learn to live life. And, and this is going to be my longest point, because I can just tell, because I'm really passionate about discipleship. But discipleship isn't me just sitting down with you and, and feeding you just a bunch of answers about theology and about the Bible. I, in one sense, like, uh, I'll even expose my cars here a little bit, like, if you've ever been on an event where I've taken my wife and kids with me, okay? I don't know, like, um, like we, we did a middle school beach retreat. Brought my wife and kids to that, okay? I felt like I was just chasing kids the whole time in a way. Like, my, my little kids, okay? And, and you might just think, like, oh, okay, Aaron's got a family or whatnot. But in a way, <laughs> I aspire to be someone who can model what it looks like to be someone who has a good marriage and who's raising his kids. And, and I want that to be a way in which you guys see a good picture of what marriage looks like and what parenting looks like. And, and that, in a way, is trying to help open up the doors of discipleship. That discipleship really is kind of like, I'll pick on Tyler Gibbs here for a second. Um, Wednesday nights, for the longest time, we meet after middle school youth group. And we kind of just, sometimes we just sit 
for a lot of times we talked about Clash of Clans, it seems like. Well, but we both gave up on that game, but we were really into Clash of Clans. And we would talk about this and that, and we'd talk about this and that. But then we'd talk about um, some of the struggles we had, some of the frustrations in our lives, some of the upsets, but also the good things. And every time when we got done meeting together, we'd pray. And I would pray for him, and he'd pray for me. And, and, and I, and I want to just say that discipleship looks a lot different for people, but that, that is kind of the goal and mind that I think Paul is even trying to tell Timothy here. That if you want to achieve godliness, to achieve the being past the subpar Christian, um, I don't think it can happen just one hour a week on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. So, Paul is saying, hey, godliness, put it before him, teach him these things about all this stuff. And he, and he kind of goes on and to, to explain the subject a little more, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So, kind of what he's saying here is, Timothy, you also need to work hard at presenting the truths of Christ and the joys of godliness to everyone who you have influence with. Which is why I said, other than like the Christmas party that we'll have, if you ever come to youth group and there isn't just like a consistent where we're opening up God's word, expounding what God's word is saying, where it doesn't seem like I'm just telling you what I think, but I'm trying to repeat what scripture is telling you. Your time, I think, is better served elsewhere. Maybe you should go work on homework. Because discipleship and, and godliness, this goal of ours to be godly, to be more like the Lord, can only happen by knowing more of God's word. By, 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 by using the people that in your life that you know, showing the joy of what it means to have a relationship with Christ. So, um, I kind of skip a few things that I've been talking a lot, a little bit. In your own life, in your aspirations to live a godly, Christ-centered, gospel-driven life, are you being trained and are you training others in the words of the faith? I think, I think a way where you could answer that is, is what kind of effort do you put forth at adding knowledge to your faith? Do you have any effort in your week to add knowledge or insight or wisdom to your relationship with Jesus? And I'll give you an example. Sophomore in high school, I walk into my church library. I have, at this point in my life, I've grown up in the church. I have never once read a Christian book before. I had no idea where to start. I remember, like, growing up, they had all these, like, what are the, like, the end time movies books? Um, what, Left, Behind. Left Behind. Yes, okay. They had, like, a freaking wall devoted to, like, Left Behind. It was crazy. But I remember, um, this is my thought process. Okay, I just want to know God more. I want to know God more. Oh, okay. Um, all right, is there a book called Knowing God? Like, that was, the, that was the thought process. And I'm like scanning, 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 scanning. And I find two books. Knowing God and something about like knowing about all of who God is or something like that. And I checked both of them out. Okay. Knowing God by J.A. Packer. Great book. Little dense for me at the time as a sophomore. Kind of like a little over my head, theology proper. But this other book was awesome. Like I learned so much. 
And I just devoured them. I read them. And I was talking to my youth pastor about this book I read. And I got those books. And, and like the book of the month, right, was sitting like, this is John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. Boom. Grab that book. You see, I was thirsty. I was eager. I know that, that if I'm going to live a Christian life that, that is past mediocrity, there has to be effort. And, and part of that effort is, is being being committed in discipleship relationships that is committed to adding knowledge to our faith. So, that was a long point, but godliness is first achieved through discipleship. And guys, boys, my heart about discipleship. Um, one of the reasons why we even switched small groups to Sunday nights is because it seemed that we were getting less and less people being able to have a, a separate night to, to join a small group. And I want you guys to, to learn and to see the value of sharing life with people. And so I encourage you. You have leaders who would love to meet with you. I would love to meet with you. It can happen before or after youth group. It can happen during the, the week. And I'm sure that there are a number of older people in our church, too, who would love just to spend time with you and walk you through um, what it means to, to love the truth. So the second thing, if you look down at verses 7 and 8, talking about godliness and how it's achieved, he says this in verse 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what he is saying here is that godliness, second point, is achieved by training in it. I mean, it goes without saying that if you want to be good at anything in life, what do you have to do? You have to practice. You have to put forth effort. You have to, I mean, I don't care how much natural talent there is. Even natural talent needs to be um, used well. You have to put forth the effort. And so I, I think in one sense, um, Christians, I have noticed, are sometimes really weird. Okay? And I, I could say that by also thinking back to the church libraries that I've, been, that I've seen, okay? And why do I say that? Because, man, I tell you, there are just hundreds, if not thousands of books that are like, why was this ever published? Like, this, this, is, this is pointless. This makes no sense. This is such a, a small niche that maybe was relevant for three months. Um, but when I, when I look down at this verse where he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, I think of all these end time books. I, not so much like Left Behind, that, that's okay, because the guy who wrote that, his name is Jerry Jenkins, he became super rich and he donated a bunch of money to the college I went to, the Moody Bible Institute, and so they named the married dorm after him, so it's called Jenkins Hall. So the first apartment I had as a married man was in Jenkins, Left Behind, right? Small things, right? But there's like these like, the Islamic terrorist kingdom and it's going to bring in the end of the world and, and there's all these books that are just people's just exactly this. It is their irreverent silly myths. And Paul's saying, listen, if you want to grow in godliness, if you want to get serious with the Lord, don't waste your time on dumb stuff. Don't waste your time. Like, and, and like, sadly... I don't know who listens to this, but maybe i got to be careful. 
I see a lot of older Christians caring far too much about politics on their Facebook pages than they do about really training in godliness. And, and I think Paul would look at so many churches, evangelical churches, and just say, like, yes, it's good to be informed, but, man, like, don't waste your time entertaining all these... Was like Killery for prison or something like that I was reading. It's just like, dude, like... People read this, I don't know, okay, it's my own little bias come out of there. But what, so he says, don't do this, don't, don't waste your time looking at all these silly myths and, and all these weird things that really have no value. But on the contrast, what are you supposed to do? Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value. So I, I love that verse, and you remember I was in body mechanics in high school, and they had this verse on the board. I think some Christian thought we can have a good ministry. There's a verse on the board about, you know, um, lifting weights and being fit is of some value. It's good, right? We, we should do it as Christians. And, and, I, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. But I don't think Paul was trying to make a statement quite about physical training as he was about godliness. Okay? I think we all know that being healthy, being fit, being, you know, exercising after a week of eating crap, right, during the holidays, we all start like, starting Monday, I'm going to get back to... Like, no, man, I still have metabolism. I say, must be nice. Paul is saying, you need to train the same way as an athlete would train. Now, I did CrossFit for a season of my life, and I hated it. Do you know why? Because it was extremely hard. I mean, it's like, it's too hard. Like, no one needs to work out this hard to be healthy. I just want to be like, sorry, to go back to my point. Like, I don't want to be super healthy. I just want to be healthy, right? Like... I'm not trying to like. I'm not trying to be like an Ironman uh, triathlete, you know. Like I, I want to be like fit, and I want to be. I want to feel good. I don't know, like my whole argument is like crushed, right? Um, but so if it's it's interesting that that word um, train in Greek is the word that we get like gymnazo, gymnasium, to train in godliness. And so in one sense, you're a high schooler, and a lot of you are thinking. And maybe some of you more than others, and, and if you're not, I'd consider you to think a little bit more about this, about what comes after high school. And you might be right now thinking about, okay, this is what I want to do. And then out of that becomes, okay, this is what I need to do to get to that point. Okay, I've gotten a lot of C's and D's freshman year. Okay, maybe I should pull this together. Okay, or maybe I'm about to apply for colleges, so I need to send out references. So you are doing things that add to that goal. So in essence, godliness isn't just something that I can pray for at the end of youth group during one of the songs where Riley is playing really nice in the keys. Godliness is not something that can come really fast. Godliness is not something that happens in the big famous moments. But do you know how I, I kind of mentioned that, that whole over time thing? that the Christian life seems to be about doing overlooked things over a long period of time. So if you think I'm just crazy, look at what Paul's saying here. Godliness, holiness, living a life that is being mature in Christ, being a life that, that is considerate of others and being hospitable to God and to, to my neighbor at all moments, is by doing 
the same thing that an athlete would do by training. And no athlete knows that overnight he can become a world-famous athlete. So Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, by discipleship and by training in it, this is how godliness in a right way comes about. So I even think back to the passage that we studied a few weeks ago in 1 John where he says, you know, I'm writing to you little children, I'm writing to you young men, and I'm writing to you fathers. What's he doing? He's not just talking to the males. He's talking about to those in the faith who are as if they are only children. To those in the faith who are just teenagers. To those in the faith who are, who are mature and father-like. In the same way, I think John and Paul would both agree that, that it takes time to grow up. The average age in this room, I don't know, 15 years? 16 maybe? And you think like, when, when do you really start having a brain and thinking a little bit logical? 18? No, I'm kidding. Um, but here's the thing, like, can I be honest with you guys? Some of you here have been a Christian for a very short amount of time. Or if you have been a Christian, it's been a short amount of time to where you've actually maybe taken it a little bit more seriously. You're actually in the beginning to, to ask questions for yourself. And, and here's my encouragement. Do that all the more. Continue to train in it. Continue to be invested in discipleship relationships and to asking good questions about your spiritual disciplines because this is what I think Paul is really getting at. If you want to be godly and if you need that encouragement like me on the days where it gets dark really soon and and I just feel like uh, my discipline begins to kind of fall off and you know, I end up just kind of wasting my time away. Paul is saying, hey, listen, the aspiration to be a mature, fully grown Christian happens by training in it, which I think happens over a long period of time. So my third point, my last point, is that godliness is achieved by persevering in it. So verses 9 and 10, if you look down at it, he says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now let me ask you a question. If uh, you're having a conversation with a friend, they said, hey, what I'm about to say is very true and deserving of every uh, fiber of your bone to listen to. Would you kind of lean in? Yeah. And on the same thing, contrary, if someone had a big monologue speech and they said to you at the very end, they said, what I just said was the most important thing that you'll ever hear. Would you kind of think twice about what they said? Because that's kind of what Paul is doing. And I love that. He only does that in the pastoral epistles, which is 1 2 Timothy and Titus, where he has these trustworthy sayings. But that's what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, what am I about to say and what I am saying, you need to think about. And so if you look down at verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Perseverance. I always think of perseverance in the month of May. Why the month of May? Because summer is coming. Right? I just need to persevere to the end. I need to get through the school year. I need to survive somehow, okay? You guys are still in high school, so it's funny talking to today in church with a lot of college. Um, it's neat when you guys graduate and they come back and they want to tell me about their lives. But So even talking to Miranda here, um, finals are coming, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I have so many papers to write. And it's like, it seems like just yesterday, like, I know what that's like. And Paul is saying, here, listen, Timothy, 
students at Hope. Godliness needs to be a continual amount of energy being poured into your Christian life. Godliness is so important. If you actually, I don't know, my Bible, it's a page over in verse 15. Do you know what he says? Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse. Means to be fully engaged and dunked in the practice of putting forth effort in your faith. And just, Sam, let me ask you a question. What are the things that you are immersed in in your life? What are the things that, that, that steal your energy and your attention and your heart's desires that, that you are just fully in? And whatever it is, it needs to be godliness. That's what Paul is saying. Godliness, the pursuit of living for God, needs to be something that steals your heart. And ultimately, this is what I would say. If we can live what verse 10 says, that if we have our hopes set on the living God, the Savior of all people, especially to those who we believe, I think the rest of life will have a way of balancing its way out. Because you know what I'd say as a youth pastor? That if you're working really hard to get good grades, good. And you should continue to do that. If you're working really hard just to be playing a sport well, absolutely. You should work hard. And when you go to practice, you should put forth 110%. If you like playing music, or if you have a job, or if you just like having some downtime and drawing and whatever it is for you, like you should do those things well. I'm not saying that there has to be a, a separation where all I do every single day when I get out of school is read my Bible and pray. But I think the question that, that comes to um, when I think of verse 10 is what are the things that you really have your hopes set on? This is my last uh, illustration, but I, there's this, um, this website called Patheos, and um, I don't recommend reading too much of their stuff. You know, I like to read a lot of secular humanist articles, but um, sometimes I'll have a friend periodically post some blogs on there. So, I, I, Patheos is for like all religions and all, so sometimes it's a Christian article, sometimes it's an atheist article, sometimes it's a Catholic article. It's just kind of a big blend of stuff. But there's this guy who's called himself a former Christian, and he was talking about how he really got into lifting weights. And he's in marriage counseling, and his wife, to the counselor, said, look how gross he is. Look how, I mean, I guess he was like really bulging or something like that, and just like total meathead or something like that. And she says, like, he loves working out too much. And so this guy is a former Christian, as he would call himself, who's currently an atheist. And what he was saying is that Christianity is a religion that makes you feel bad for caring about yourself too much. That because I wanted to make myself um, healthy and I, and I felt good about it, they shamed me because um, you can't even take care of yourself too much in Christianity. It's all about this God who says, um, you can't delight in anything other than me. So was, I saw where it was coming from. It's a pretty poor argument overall, what I would say. But I thought it was fascinating that his reasons for having grievances against Christianity was that I cared about my health too much, and they said that was bad, and therefore, this is rubbish. 
I don't know who counseled him or what kind of church he went to or, or what his wife was thinking. And here's the thing, like, if you go and one day you invite me because um, you're a bodybuilder and you're competing, that's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to come. And if one day you are getting like the Nobel Peace uh, Prize Award or whatever it is, and you invite me to the reception, like, I, I would love to come to that. Because it's not to say that there aren't things in life that we can aspire to excel at or to even be the best at. In fact, I think our Christian worldview gives us the freedom and really the power to go out into the world and to work hard. But it all comes back down to this one little thing of what our hope is set on. If your hope is set on the fact that if I really succeed in life by getting into the college that I want or by getting the smoking hot wife or the really big home or the husband who provides really well, I think that is where Paul is saying your attempts at godliness will fail. Your attempts to understand what the gospel really means will fail because as Christians we know that the one thing that truly matters is Jesus. That life is more than the things that I can get. That there is something worse than death. Now, what if I got every single thing that I want on my bucket list, then what? And the gospel says, in me, you will have everything that you could ever want. Jesus is offering everything that we could ever want. And that's why Paul says, godliness, to be effective, you need to have your hope set on the living God. And so, I really, really, really hope that none of you would wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to aspire to be a subpar Christian. In my life, I'm okay with being right in the middle, or I just want to be in the club. And more so than that, I hope that none of you would ever look at what Christ has accomplished for you and in response, think that it is okay to give him anything less than your all. This passage is telling us that excellence in life and in all things is considering godliness. It is being inclined towards godliness. So if you want to be excellent in life, you'll pursue godliness. And you do that through discipleship and through training and through perseverance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the opportunity to be challenged and questioned. And, and Father, I ask that you would give us hearts that, that do pursue excellence. And I pray, God, that we understand that, that godliness is not something that comes overnight, but it's something that, that we need to work at. So Lord, I ask that you would give us the courage and the boldness to, to think about what would it look like in this week and on Monday to pursue godliness in new ways. Help us to add knowledge to our faith, Help us, Lord, to find relationships that would push us forward. And God, we ask that in all of our efforts, God, in the small little steps that we take and in the big leaps, that it would all be just for your glory. That it would all be because that you are the living God and you are the Savior of all people. And because you are the creator of all things seen and unseen. And because of that, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be full of thanksgiving 
God, for every talent that you have given these students, for every little quirk and for every personality that is made up in this room, God, I thank you for that. And Father, I pray that we would become people who are marked by a longing for Jesus, for an ability to, to look at life and say, excellence is, is leaning into our relationship with Christ. So bless us for this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.